0: All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 333, and today we are talking about books being released on October 19th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tirza, hello! Hello, Liberty! It's episode 333, which is like 666, but only half as bad.
1: <laughs> I was just gonna say, there has to be some kind of significance behind 333, like... I'm not sure what it is, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually ever look it up, but when I was young, like in my early 20s, I made myself a t shirt that said 333, really big on it. And then on the back, it said only half as bad. <laughs> I love that. But we're going to talk about books today. <laughs> yes, we are. Which is exciting. Yeah. We ha- we've already had like a very extensive cat conversation.
1: We have. Cats are important. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I have you know, three
1: orange kitties that are living under my porch right now that we're trying to tame. So we had to catch up on those those cute little kitties. They're doing very well, in case anybody's wondering.
0: Yeah, they're so cute. I wish cats would stay that size. I know. It would be so great. People probably feel that way about their children too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know. Like little mini little mini cats. Like yeah, I,
1: I would have so many. It would be yeah, bad.
0: <laughs> it would be bad. Before we start talking about books today, there are a few things that I want to mention. Most importantly, uh, this morning I discovered Gloucester canaries. And if you've never seen one, they are, like, little canaries that have haircuts like Mo Howard from The Three Stooges. <laughs> like, they have these little bowl cuts, almost like beetle haircuts. I don't even know how I, I saw. I think maybe, like, in some suggested photos on Instagram this morning, like, when I first woke up. But I was like, what is that? I need one. And I spent like an hour reading about Gloucester canaries, which I highly recommend that you Google right now. I mean, unless you're driving and check them out because they're so cute. But I mean, like there's some that are like all one color, but there's like these yellow ones that have like brown bowl haircuts and they look like
2: the three stooges in bird form.
0: It's so,
1: so funny. I'm looking at them now and they're adorable. Right? Right?
0: So I had to share that. Also, equally as important, we have great limited Book Riot merchandise available for sale only in October to celebrate our 10th anniversary. We have t-shirts, we have hoodies, we have all kinds of great stuff, and they're in our signature Book Riot colors with our Book Riot logo, so you can go to bookriot.com merch and pick up yours, only available in October, which is quickly coming to an end. It's just amazing to me. And I do also want to mention that we are hiring an advertising sales manager. So if you want to come work for Book Riot, if you like books and comics and you like helping advertisers who want to reach an enthusiastic community of book and comics lovers, then this may be the job for you, especially if you have prior sales or account management experience. And we are committed to building an inclusive workforce and strongly encourage applications from women, individuals with disabilities, and people of color. It includes health, retirement, and 160 hours of annual PTO. Those are just some of the benefits you can expect. So to apply, visit bookriot.com slash join dash us and apply by October 24th. Yes, come join us. Yes, so much fun. Again, 10 years gone by in a flash, like October. I know. It seems
1: so wild. It's wild. Yeah. Well, it's been five and a half years for me, and it's like, what, really? How? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you've been here the entire time, so it's yes, kind of like, I have.
0: <laughs> So cool. Yeah. They they can't get rid of me. <laughs> like, what would I do?
1: <laughs> you You would just, you know... Not go away and we'd be like, we just yeah. have liberty. She just reads yeah. all the books. She's yeah. our resident book gremlin or
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, book gremlin. Maybe I'll start using that now. <laughs> so we are going to talk about books. Hooray! Before yeah. we start doing that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor.
3: This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kaine pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk Ride Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode.
0: Okay, so I have four fantastic books today. Two of which are novellas that are very, very short, so I can't really tell you that much about them. But that's okay. You know, you'll get the gist and you'll pick them up and they'll be awesome. The first one is Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Kaw, which has my favorite cover of the year, but also it's like a super scary monster. Like, just the cover so alone scary. is like, wow, this is scary. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's creepy. Every time I see it, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it looks a lot like the thing in the new trailer for the Wheel of Time series. Like, one of those shadow spawn things or something. Like, they've all got, like, that, like, venom look with, like, the round face with, like, the sharp teeth. Um, (laughs) Anyway, back to the book. So this is a novella based in Japanese folklore. It's about a group of friends who are, they've known each other a long time, and they're, like, adults now. you have to forgive me. I read this book, like, a year ago, so I'm trying to remember the details. I believe they were like, in their late 20s, and they're really into, like, adventure and thrills and being scared and stuff. So a couple in the group is getting married, and one of the members of the group is insanely rich, so he rents this big decrepit mansion that is possibly haunted. Like, nobody's supposed to be staying in there, but money can get you anything. So they're staying in this big, scary building for the wedding. But here's the problem. There's going to be a wedding in this building, but there's already a bride living there. Mm. It's the ghost of a woman whose fiancé was killed right before their wedding, and she's super not into the intrusion. So the group stays overnight... They hang out, they drink, past resentments come to the surface, old feelings come back, they start to wear on each other's nerves, they basically just kind of behave badly. Also, these people all kind of suck, like, but it's, like, in a good way in that, like, you're like, uh, you're terrible and somebody's getting a comeuppance at some point. And it's really great. And then some really, really terrifying stuff goes down where you get to the end and you're just like, what's just what just happened? Like, that kind of, like, ending where you're like, whoa. Yeah. It's very surely Jackson-ish, but much gorier, if that appeals to you. I know a lot of you are now running right now to pick up that book. I do want to give content warnings for infidelity, body horror, and gore, but it's so awesome. It is Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Kaw.
1: It's so funny that you said that it's very Shirley Jackson like because the last time I was on the show, I recommended When Things Get Dark, which is a collection of short stories that were inspired by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. And Cassandra Ka actually um, contributed a short story huh? to that collection. And I can't remember what the title of their story is, but I do remember being like really creeped out by it. So <laughs> if you really like Nothing But Black and Teeth, you want more Cassandra Ka remember to go back to when things get dark. Awesome. Uh, So my first pick is Bad Girls Never Say Die by Jennifer Matthew. And um, Jennifer Matthew is the author of Moxie, which um, was released as a Netflix film earlier this year. I think earlier this year, what is time? Yeah, it was like March. (laughs) It seems like time has gone by really fast. So I was like, was that something that happened recently? But yes. So Bad Girls Never Say Die is her new book. And before I dive in, I just want to give like a quick content warning for um, attempted sexual assaults that happens on the page and like violence and murder. Um, so this book is set in 1960s Houston, Texas, and it is kind of like a feminist like a feminist response or a feminist sort of book that's inspired by the outsiders, but it's not a direct retelling of the outsiders, which is funny because like I was reading this book and I was getting all the outsiders vibes And then I had to like actually go to the Outsiders Wikipedia page to remember what it was about because I didn't remember what the book was about. I have read it. It's been like over 10 years, but I literally just could not remember the plot of that book. And so it's different, but it has a lot of the same vibes, but it's told from the perspective of Evie, who is this high school student and she's like one of the bad girls and she's knows this and she's kind of fine with it because she comes from like the wrong side of town. And, you know, her, um, her family is poor, um, but she's lucky enough that she has a mom and a grandmother who actually care for her and they aren't abusive. Her friends can't always say as much. So she and her three friends are kind of like this little little girl gang and they enjoy just, you know, hanging out with boys and smoking and drinking and cutting class, And that's just kind of their life. And they are not really thinking about the future. And so the book opens when they are at the drive-in and Evie decides to go to the bathroom. And so she goes to use the bathroom. And as she comes out, one of the boys from like the nice rich, ritzy side of town attempts to assault her. And he doesn't get very far because another girl um, who is, They call a tea sipper because she's kind of from the fancy, nice, rich side of town. She manages to stop the boy by sticking a switchblade in him and killing him. And it's totally self-defense and totally an accident. But the girl and Evie sort of panic and they run away because they know that, you know, this situation never looks good. But unfortunately for them, the boy is like the son of a very prominent man in Houston. And that's obviously going to be a problem for them. Um, So Evie is like, I'm not going to say anything. We're not going to tell anybody what happened. And she also has to confront the fact that this girl who saved her, who is ostensibly like this very put together moneyed person is maybe not exactly, you know, the, the perfect girl that she thinks she is. All right, so Evie and Diane, who saved her, they start to form this friendship, and Evie discovers that Diane has a few secrets, and she's living on their sort of wrong side of the tracks part of town because of something that she did in her past that has gotten her kicked out of her family. And Evie is kind of forced to realize that, like, hey, sometimes loyalty is more about who you are and and what you do for your friends than just where you're from. So this is a really sort of gritty, very interesting book set in the 1960s. I really liked the historical setting because I don't feel like we have seen a lot of 1960s set YA novels. You know, and just reminder to any listeners who maybe aren't thinking this, but like this is before Roe v. Wade. So a lot of the girls sort of struggles and with like dating and and society are really centered around the fact that like girls can get pregnant and they are not allowed legal abortions so um, that has a huge impact on their lives and that is one of the threads of the book so just know going in that, that is also discussed um but it, it was really fascinating and um, this is the first um I, this is only second book by jennifer matthew that i've read and first of her historical books that i've read and i really enjoyed it the author's from houston so you can like really tell that like she knows her city's history and she knows the city really well so i felt like the setting was done really well um so that's bad girls never say die by jennifer matthew
0: okay i have something completely different now Uh, My next two books are going to be nonfiction, which is like, whoa, for me. You you know, (laughs) sometimes I have one, but two bananas. So my next pick is called The Plant Hunter, A Scientist's Quest for Nature's Next Medicines by Cassandra Leah Quave. And Quave is an ethnobotanist, which was a word I had to look up when I read it. I learned a lot from this. I had to look a lot of things up. And she's talking about the rise of the post antibiotic era and how antibiotic resistant microbes are flourishing and sad sad statistics each year 700,000 people die due to these untreatable infections and it's expected that in the year by the year 2050 10 million annual deaths will have occurred exceeding deaths caused by anything else even cancer because of these antibiotic resistant illnesses. And she talks about how she is trying to find a way to stop this from happening. How 9% of all plants have medicinal effects, but less than 5% of those have made it into a lab. Like scientists have studied less than 5% of those, which seems amazing. And it's kind of, part of it is because synthetical pharmaceuticals have come into the world, and because of that we've sort of lost our understanding of the natural world and so many advances need to be made you know malaria kills so many people around the world but not here so we don't hear about it very often and this is sort of a personal quest for for her because she was born with multiple congenital defects of her skeletal system and when she was 3 years old she had to have uh, one of her legs amputated from the knee down and she got a staph infection that almost killed her, and she was saved by antibiotics. And she grew up loving the outdoors. She had to spend a lot of her time inside because she had to have uh, several surgeries when she was young. You know, spent a lot of her time back and forth in the hospital, so when she could get outside, you know, she loved it. And she also was fascinated by science. And I'm laughing because as a young child, she became very interested in foodborne illnesses. You know, I love when you hear about people who have these like, very specific interests, like, at a very young age. So, like, imagine, like, an elementary school student who's like, my hobbies include foodborne illnesses. But it's true. She was very interested in foodborne illnesses and also in medical infections, and part of that was because of, you know, things that had happened to her. And also, where she grew up was a very big farm area, and they produced a lot of beef there, and so she was fascinated by by food illnesses. And then later, as an adult, she became fascinated with anthropology, and she started studying other cultures and you know to her she was very interested in ableism in other cultures how they used to treat people who had disabilities like her and she traveled to peru when she was in college as an adult she's traveled all over the world she's been in the amazon she's been to italy she's like the indiana jones of plants but you know she became very fascinated when she traveled to peru when she was in college Uh, and she began learning about plant use and, uh, and medicine from other cultures, and also, like, plants use in foods. And, and it's, da- like, some of the work is dangerous because you have animals that, you know, wild animals and insects. And actually, her first time in the jungle, her stump became infected because she wasn't prepared for the heat of, the, like, a different climate. And she was treated uh, with the help of a local shaman, Helped her treat her wound. You know, so there she was learning about plants and she's being treated right there. And now she's a teacher. She goes into the field with her students. She's a mother. She takes her baby into the field with her. And she just has this real love of science and a love of the spirituality she feels while she's in nature. And she also talks about, like, the sexism in the science fields. How it's like a male-dominated profession still, most of the science fields. And it's a fascinating look at different plants and their uses And, you know, now, you know, now we're like, we're in the 21st century. It's all technology and, you know, all this stuff. And people are like, ooh, plant medicine, you know, like silly hippie stuff. You know, forgetting that that's where we came from. Like, that's all we used to have. Like, those those are the foundations of what we're working with today. There is a thing at the beginning uh, that I thought was interesting. Like, there's a page at the beginning of this book before it starts that says, you know, this is not a substitute for the advice of a medical professional. And she also mentions that in her introduction, you know, she's just trying to find, you know, other ways to start helping us. It was a really interesting look at a subject that maybe even two years ago we might have given less thought to, but now in a pandemic where things are becoming resistant faster than we can keep up with them, you know, the idea to finding solutions to the growing problem of antibiotic resistant microbes is, is a serious one and a necessary one. And she also now runs the Quave Research Group for Medical Ethnobotany and Anti-Infective Drug Research, who is really, really interesting. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of ableism, illness, and medical-related gore. One chapter is called Worms in the Belly, so that should tell you that right there. Uh, so if bodily fluids make you squeamish, just a heads up there. This book is called The Plant Hunter, A Scientist's Quest for Nature's Next Medicines by Cassandra Leah Quave.
1: I think I said this last episode, too, but like that sounds like a book that would squick me out, but it also sounds like a book I need to buy my mom for Christmas because she would love that.
0: It's so interesting, you know, like, like, I love books because I've learned stuff I know nothing about. It's just awesome.
1: That is really cool.
0: All right, so my
1: second book is a book that um, actually came out last week. The supply chain's a mess. Everything's been shifting. So um, unfortunately, this is this is what I have for you. But I, I don't think anybody's talked about it yet. So I'm really excited. It's um, Ferryman by Claire McFall. And so this is a Scottish book. Um, it's a YA novel, but I feel like it um, will also definitely appeal to adults, too. And it came out in Scotland, I believe in 2017. And it is now just being released here in the US. The cover is gorgeous. So if you get the chance to look up the US cover, I highly recommend it. Um, And this book was like a huge, huge bestseller in the UK. Um, And it's already been optioned to become a film. So Definitely excited about it making its way over here. It is the story of Dylan, who is a teenager who lives in Scotland, and she has just kind of reconnected with her father, who has been basically absent for like the last 10 years of her life. And so she's kind of convinced her mom that she ought to, you know, reach out and have a relationship with him. And so she lives in Glasgow and her father lives in Aberdeen. And she is going to take a train this weekend to go meet her father for the first time in 10 years. So she's on the train when all of a sudden, like everything goes black. And it's not just because they go through a tunnel. Um, The train crashes. And when she kind of emerges from the wreckage, she is in this sort of, dreary landscape that sort of looks like Scotland, but is much darker. And she comes to find out that she died in the train crash. And she is now in this wasteland. And she's understandably a little bit freaked out by this, but she sees this boy um, and he comes up to her and he's like, don't worry. I know where we can go. Follow me. So she comes to find out that he is a ferryman. He's ferrying her on to whatever Is next, and she doesn't know what's next. But the they have to like take. I think it's almost seven days across this wasteland where they have to traverse, um, you know, really unfriendly territory to get to where she can cross to the other side. So over the course of those seven days, Dylan is just kind of processing what's happened to her, but she's also getting to know her ferryman, whose name is Tristan, and she is also. You know, hoping to get across safely because basically there are these wraiths that will try and claim souls before they can pass over. And if they get you, they like pull you into the ground and you're never able to escape. Like you basically then become a wraith. And so Tristan's whole mission is to guide her safely and protect her. But they kind of have this connection that goes beyond typical you know, newly dead soul and ferryman relationship. And Dylan really reminds Tristan of like what it means to be human and um, what it means to live. And he's been kind of, he's been very sort of cut off from the souls that he, he ferries across and he's been very unemotional and unfeeling, but she sort of wakens something inside of him. Um, But of course she has to cross over. He's a ferryman. What could possibly come of this? Well, You'll just have to read it and see. I really enjoyed this book because I thought that the concept was interesting, but also the language and the writing was just so beautiful. Uh, I really, really appreciated that. Like, I do think that this book is interesting because it kind of it feels a lot like some of the YA books of like the last ten years, where you have like this normal girl and sort of like supernatural boy. And they have this connection and it's kind of a high concept. But Like this one was just done like really, really well. Um, So I really appreciated that as well. Apparently there are sequels um, and they, I don't know if they will be released in the U.S., but they are somewhat attainable online if you wanted to go shop for them. Uh, but Ferryman, out now from Candlewick Press here in the U.S. Um, it's Ferryman by Claire McFall.
0: All right. Uh, you reminded me that I also wanted to mention that on the October 5th show, I talked about Little Thieves by Margaret Owen, which then I found out was moved to today. So if you were excited to read that and you want to read one of my very favorite fantasy books of the year, uh, that is out today, too. It's Little Thieves by Margaret Owen. And now I'm going to tell you about my other nonfiction book of the day. It is The White Ship, Conquest, Anarchy, and the Wrecking of Henry I's Dream by Charles Spencer. I will fully admit that I probably would not have picked this book up, but I got this email from the publicist that's called it the Medieval Titanic. And I was like, oh, what's that? First of all, talking about history books is weird to me because it's not a novel where, like, here's what the plot is and what, you know, it could go in all these different ways. You know, it's not like, is the red-headed human Muppet going to leave her career in books and go live among the Gloucester Canaries? Read this to find out. You know, it's like facts, which are kind of like spoilers, you know. It's not like you're going to read a book about Larry Bird to find out if he has a career in basketball. Like, you already know these things. So, like, I kind of feel like history books are spoilers when I talk about them. And second of all, I don't know anything about history, like I feel like I keep reading books about history, but I know nothing. And my husband is a history major, so like we watch Jeopardy, and he'll be like the Habsburgs, Henry the Richard the Third. I'm like, how do you like how do you know these things? But it seems like so many of you out there know who these people are, and I'm wildly impressed with all of you who know these things because I do not. Uh, so every time I read a book set in like medieval times or you know about the you know Plantagenets, it's it's amazing to me. So this is spoilers, a true story. Uh, in 1120, a boat called the White Ship, which was carrying Henry I's heir, William Adelin, plus two of his illegitimate children and several members of his court, sank on a voyage from Normandy to England. The only person who survived this this tragedy was a butcher. And you might think that this book was called The White Ship because of this tragedy, the sinking of this boat. But that's actually only a very small part of this book. This book should just be called Henry the First and His Life, and then one real chapter on the White Ship, because that's that is the truth. I'm not condemning it for that, but it's really the truth. It's really a fascinating story of Henry I. How he was the son, the youngest son of William the Conqueror, and how he, you know, became the king, you know, all the war, and then in the middle of the book. You have the sinking of the white ship. It's, like, it's literally, like, one chapter. And then after that, it's how the sinking of this ship threw his court into disarray. Because Henry I had 22 illegitimate children. But William was the one he was expecting to take over. And he didn't have a backup plan. So, you know... His plan went down in the ocean and it threw his court into disarray. I mean, just, they didn't know what, people didn't want to tell him about it because they were afraid what they what he would do to them, like, first when they told him about the tragedy and, like, he didn't know what to do. He, like, and so he ended up, like, telling, like, his daughter Matilda that she could be queen when he was gone, but then before she got back to the country, the throne was seized and there were wars over this, and then it eventually led us to Henry the Second being king. And I found it fascinating because I imagine that you can only know so much about events in the 12th century. You know, people are Instagramming things back then. So I found, like, there was so much detail, and I was like, wow, this is cool. And I found it to be, like, really accessible. Um, I've mentioned before I get very nervous reading books, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, that take place that long ago because I'm worried I'm not going to understand it. And I found it very accessible. It was fun. It's heavy on the details. It's also heavy on the violence. It has a lot of violence for a history book. I would say, like, this book gets an A for history, a D for the title, and an A-plus for eye-gouging. Because there's a lot of eye-gouging in this book. So, um, also, I want to mention, uh, if the name Charles Spencer sounds familiar to you, uh, you know he's known for many things. He has a degree in modern history. This is his fourth book. He was a reporter on NBC's Today Show from 1986 until 1995. But probably most famously, he is known as being the brother of Princess Diana. So I do want to give content warnings for war, violence, illness, drowning, and body horror. It is The White Ship, although it shouldn't be, Conquest, Anarchy, and The Wrecking of Henry I's Dream by Charles Spencer. That sounds fascinating. Um, we can talk about how fascinating it is uh, after we hear from our next sponsor. <laughs>
2: Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So, Negative Space by Gillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality, and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Scribner. Weird Black Girls by Elwynn Cotman is a collection of seven stories in which characters pursue their obsessions on paths to glory and destruction, while all around them their worlds twist and warp, oscillating between reality and impossibility. On display throughout is Cotman's ability to reveal truths about the human experience, about things like friendship, love, betrayal, bitterness, all through whimsy horror and fantasy. Elegiac in tone, imaginative, and humorous in their execution. The character-driven stories in Weird Black Girls challenge, incite, and entertain. The author's last book was named one of NPR's Best Books of the Year and was a finalist for the Philip K. Dick Award, with reviews appearing in the New York Times, Wired, BuzzFeed, and Locus, among other publications. Definitely make sure to check out Weird Black Girls by Elwin Kotman. And thanks again to Scribner for sponsoring this episode. <laughs>
1: So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that I really enjoy, um, you know, just little, I, I guess, like, in-depth um, histories about, like, a singular moment in time or, like, a person's mm-hmm. influence. And so that sounds really interesting. Because right? yeah. I did not know about
0: The White Ship. Yeah, no, I didn't either. And, like, you know, I feel bad even saying that, like, it shouldn't be titled that, but it makes it sound like it's a... Like, the whole book is about that, and it's basically just, like, one tiny part of it.
1: (laughs) But that's cool. I
0: still enjoyed the book a whole heck of a bunch. That's good. All right,
1: so my third pick is Within These Wicked Walls by Lauren Blackwood, and this one is a bit dark, a bit creepy, just know that going in. It is about, like, basically a haunted house, but on steroids. (laughs) So it is the story of Andromeda, who is basically what's known as a de-terra, and they are people who are sort of part of like the organized religion in her country but like they basically exercise the manifestations of the evil eye as they pop out in like houses and and other structures so like the sort of crude way that people refer to them is exorcist but it's a little bit more um, involved than just exorcisms. So at the beginning of the book, Andromeda has just kind of been abandoned by her mentor who has refused to basically see out the rest of her training so she can become officially licensed as a Dayterra. And because of that, she, like she has nothing, no money, no food, no place to go. And so she's desperate to take any sort of work as a day to basically prove her worth. And because she's unlicensed, it's very hard for her to get work. So she's a little bit desperate at the beginning of the book. And she hears of this job where she goes to basically this big castle in the middle of the desert. And the second she steps inside, it's like absolutely chilly and frigid. So, you know, castle, desert, heat, but inside it's cold because it is so infested with evil manifestations that it's just cold in there all the time. And most of the people have basically abandoned the house. So the only people who live there are the owner of the estate whose name is Mr. Rochester. I forgot to mention, this is a retelling of Jane Eyre. It's a clever retelling of Jane Eyre. I really enjoyed it. And so he's the owner of the estate, he's young, and he's just inherited it three years previously, and he basically has had like 10 different de come through trying to um, rid the place of manifestations, and none of them can do it. Like, they all run away screaming. And then the only other people living there are three of um, the servants that he has employed. And so he's basically just like, hope you're up for the task. And she's kind of like, well, I have no other choice because I like nobody else is lining up to hire me. But if I can pull off this task, then I can possibly, you know, prove my worth and maybe other people will hire me because I have this on my resume, even though I'm unlicensed. Of course, It's a lot more horrifying and a much bigger job than she expects. And she comes to realize that, you know, not only is there just so many manifestations in this house, but Mr. Rochester himself has been cursed. And she can't just abandon him and run away when it gets too hard because, of course, she starts to fall for him. Uh, So I really enjoyed this. Like, I think it really works as like a Jane Eyre retelling. Um, It's set kind of, it's hard to get a feel for like the exact setting, but it sort of feels like a historical fantasy. They don't really quite name where the book is set, but it's inspired by Ethiopian history. And like Mr. Rochester and three of his servants, um, they say are from England, like they mentioned Italy in the book. So I'm guessing it's supposed to be like in our world, but like a version of our world where there is, you know, a lot of evil manifestations. And it was very creepy reading about all of the different things that are like coming out of the walls of this house and trying to attack them. I also really enjoyed the nods to the original Jane Eyre. Um, There is a Red Room, and it's super creepy. Um, That's just, like, one example of this. So, basically, like, if you like Jane Eyre, but you wanted it to be a horror novel, this is definitely a book for you. Um, It is Within These Wicked Walls by Lauren Blackwood.
0: All right. So, my last pick is the other novella that I mentioned at the top of the show, And this one is even shorter than the first one, so I can't really tell you all that much about it. Except that it's awesome. Uh, It's Flowers for the Sea by Zin E. Rocklin. And this one, I want to give content warnings up front because there's a lot of discussion of miscarriage, descriptions of childbirth, and child death. Uh, So, and I'm gonna have to mention those within the description. Uh, So this one is perfect for fans of Octavia Butler or River Solomon. It's about a young woman named Araxi who uh, her people have been persecuted her whole life and blamed for everything that happens and driven to the coasts of their lands and then persecuted some more and murdered and in it, her story uh, she's she's like 19 and she has just fled her, her land um, because uh, they were starting to be her family was starting to be blamed for everything that was happening and there was an evil prince, In charge of everything, and he was basically like, oh, well, you know, if you come be with me, you know, things will be okay for you, and and she said no, Uh, and so he had her beaten, and she she fled. Um, And now she's on, she managed to get on board the ship that has been sailing for a very long time, and she becomes pregnant, and she's been pregnant at the beginning of this book for, like, 300 days. And she's the only person on the book who's been able to carry a child to term. There have been other pregnant people on the ship who have lost their children to miscarriage or they've been born and and died. And people are kind of like in awe of her now. And also, like, she's not really into it. She didn't want to be in this condition. And she's just kind of like, you know, after everything that I've seen on this ship, this is going to be the end of me when I have this baby. Um, And so they're at sea, and they're surrounded by, like, things called razor fangs that come from the sky, and there are tentacle creatures in the ocean, and then she gives birth, because that's what she's going to do. But, like, I can't tell you anything else after that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I do want to say, this is one of the most horrifying descriptions of childbirth that I've ever read in a book, but it's, like... It's so excellent how it turns out, the story. Uh, It's just this really excellent short book with eldritch horrors and this powerful woman who is trying to survive. Uh, And I'll repeat the content warnings with some more, you know, content warnings for mentions of descriptions of childbirth, child death, miscarriage, murder, physical violence, and sexual assault. It is Flowers for the Sea by Zin E. Rocklin. Oh,
1: that sounds... Very horrifying for past <laughs> at the same time, because now I want to know what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was talking and I was like, this sounds like a major bummer, except it's excellent. Like, she's a really strong character, and you want to know what happens at the end, which I cannot even begin to tell you, so...
1: Uh, being on the show is dangerous because you have a very ah, ah, good ah. talent for like giving me just enough so like books that weren't even on my radar or books that <laughs> were but like weren't on my TBR I'm, now I'm like well now I need to know what the thing is so thank you
0: come on Tierza. it's only like 120 <laughs> pages come on that's short I yeah. could pound that out in an afternoon <laughs> yeah Uh, So my
1: final pick is something much lighter to end the show on. And it is, this is our rainbow, 16 stories of her, him, them, and us, edited by Catherine Locke and Nicole Mellaby. And this is just a middle grade short story collection about queer kids finding themselves. And that's, I don't know, it's just super heartwarming. It has uh, many amazing contributors, including Alex Gino, um, Lisa Jen Bigelow, um, Clarabelle Ortega, Shin yin who... Their graphic novel was on the long list for the National Book Awards. So like all sorts of really great authors are writing these just amazingly sweet and heartwarming stories about middle grade kids figuring out their identities. And, you know, some of the stories are more overtly about like figuring out your identity. And some of them are just kind of more like this is a middle grade kid living their life and then they they also happen to be queer. So I really appreciated that range. Um, it also includes, you know, some graphic short story. So I, I like that, you know, you have a range of mediums as well. And a, a range of genres as well, too, because we have some like really hyper realistic stories. But then you also have some more speculative stories. And I just think that like, it's this really great empowering collection for any sort of school or library. And just like having that near kids who might be questioning or just curious, you can pick up this book and you can read like seriously, 16 stories of a bunch of different Kids who are figuring out their both gender identity, but like also their first crushes. So there's, you know, some early questions about sexuality and it's all done in such like a nice age appropriate way that I just think that this will be essential for so many middle grade kids who might think that like, maybe they are the only ones that ever have felt like this, or, or maybe they're weird or different because they don't know anybody who is just like them. But like, then you can see this collection where a lot of kids are going through this. And I that just must be so affirming. So I highly recommend picking it up. It was really fun. Um, I started this uh, on audio because the audiobook hit my desk before I could get a print copy. And I really did enjoy the audio narration. However, because it does have those um, short graphic stories, I wanted to go pick up a copy of it in print to be able to see the illustrations. And um, one of my favorite um, short stories in this collection was by um, Shin Ying Kuo because it is just like this really sweet story about these four middle school kids who go to a thrift store and just try to figure out like what their style is and what like brings them euphoria when they're trying on clothes. And I just, I love that. I mean, I think back to, you know, when I was a middle schooler and I was trying to figure out like, What do I even wear? Like, it's such a universal experience, but then to have it tied to, like, figuring out your gender expression, it was just great. So this is our rainbow, 16 stories of her, him, them, and us. It's a great collection out today.
0: Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next?
1: Next, I am going to pick up Payback's A Witch by lana harper i'm really excited about this book because it's a queer witchy romance and tis the season so
0: here we go awesome i am going to pick up havana year zero by carla suarez translated by christina mcsweeney which comes out uh, november 2nd it was recommended to me by someone whose opinion I greatly admire. Is that the word that I want to say? I don't know. I greatly admire this person. They told me to read it. So I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm very excited about that. And, of course, also still reading Agent Pendergast from now until the end of time. (laughs) Uh, So that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. If you want to get some Book Riot limited merchandise, you can go to bookriot.com slash merch. If you want to apply for the advertising sales manager position, go to bookriot slash join us before October 24th. Uh, you can travel a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find Tirza on Twitter and Instagram at Tirza Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. I mostly hang out on Instagram now at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And thank you so much to all of you who have already done that. And as much as we would love to tell you about more canaries today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com listen or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.